This is our second episode in the series Foundations of Christian Hedonism. In our first session, we looked at Psalm 1611 and concluded this, Christian Hedonism affirms that the greatest fullness of pleasure and the greatest duration of pleasure are found only in God through Jesus Christ. We are Christian hedonists. Not merely in His gifts. In other words, in God. Not just in what He gives. We're idolaters if our affections terminate on God's gifts and not on God. God Himself, as supremely great, supremely beautiful, supremely valuable. And we drew this massively important practical implication, which defines the point of Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism affirms that it is the God-given duty of all people to pursue their fullest, longest pleasure, namely pleasure in God, or as Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forever more. And what we begin now is 10 arguments, supports, bases, warrants for this from the rest of the Bible. And argument number one today is we should pursue joy. It is our duty. We should, that's duty. We should, not may, but should, it's our duty, pursue joy in God, not just His gifts, because the Bible commands this very thing. So, Father, as we look at these commands, would you grant us the joy of obedience? Grant us not to feel burdened or oppressed that we're commanded to be happy, but liberated, maybe devastated because our happiness is in the wrong place right now, but oh, the liberty that comes from discovering that you have our best interests at heart and are commanding that we be happy in you. If we're happy in other things more than you, convict us and set us free that we might be happy fully and forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here are the arguments from Scripture for the command that we do this. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. There it is. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's a command. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Commit. Trust. Trust. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I quoted more than verse 4, just so that you can see, in no way do I want to uh, discount or reduce everything to this command. 
This is a command. This is a command. And this is a repetition of that command. This is a command. I'm just saying, this is here. Delight yourself in the Lord is a command, not a mere option. Psalm 32.10 Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, O you upright in heart. There's the command, not a suggestion, a command. Psalm 33, 1, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise, this joyful praise befits the upright. Oh, how fitting it is, how suitable it is, how appropriate it is that joy animate our verbal praises of God. If they don't, this is called hypocrisy. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So right there is the clearest command. Do you want to serve the Lord? Do you feel that the biblical um, pattern is to call for service? Paul called himself a servant or a slave of Christ very often. Well, here is an essential command about that. He does not want servile, begrudging service. This is the kind of service he demands. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face to shine on us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. He's calling now all the peoples of the earth. Glorious. This is God's purpose for the whole world. All the peoples. Let them praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Unless we think that this praise can be somehow abstracted as a verbal discipline, apart from what's going on in the heart, he says, Let the nations be glad. That's a command. May it be so. Let the nations be glad. That fills up with authenticity these commands. Praise. Let the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you. That is, may the nations underneath and in that praise be glad and sing for joy. For joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on the earth. Go to the New Testament. Three times in Philippians. 2.17.3.1.4.4. This is an amazing one. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, that means if I die for your faith, if I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, if I die for your faith... I am glad. Now, that's his testimony. Here comes the command. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you be glad. It's a command. That's an imperative. You be glad and rejoice with me, which must be very hard. They loved him very much. And he says, if I die for your faith, 
I'm going to be happy because I'm going to be with Jesus. And I insist that you join me in this joy. You be glad. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. There's the command. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you think I made a mistake when I wrote always, and again I will say rejoice. Nothing like that anywhere else that I know on joy. Double command. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. And Matthew, Jesus talking, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice in that day and be glad. Right in the middle of suffering, right in the middle of persecution and affliction. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we're moving into a last, the last few texts where the command to rejoice is in the midst of affliction. Here it is again in 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, suffering is normal for the Christian. It's not strange. But instead of being surprised, rejoice. Rejoice when the trial comes insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is a command, not a suggestion. This is one of our most oft-cited texts at Desiring God because of what a world we live in, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Always means this sorrow which is real, deep, and may cause heaving sobs, does not interrupt this. And if you're too inexperienced to think that's possible, that is, you can't be authentically rejoicing while you are sobbing in sorrow. I bear personal witness that you can. I have seen it. I experience it. It is possible. Indeed, I would say It is commanded. When Paul says here in Romans 12, rejoice in hope. What's coming in the future in spite of the present is enough to cause present rejoicing in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. The reason I added verse 15 here to this command is that there's always somebody rejoicing in the world or in our experience and always somebody weeping. And if we're going to have empathetic hearts of joy with those who rejoice and empathetic hearts of weeping with those who weep, we have to be able to do this sorrowful yet always Rejoicing. This is a command, and the command is not compromised by this. Weep with those who weep. 
Those are the texts I want you to look at. So let's close with one objection that a a woman who is now with Jesus and was one of my heroes, we were on a panel one time, said to me, she said, I don't think you should tell people to pursue joy. You should tell them to pursue obedience. For, For example, a text like this, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, Paul says, Take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. So obedience is what we should pursue and encourage others to pursue. That was her objection. And here was my answer. I've I've said it in public many times. The problem with this objection is that it confuses two different categories. It's like saying you should tell people to eat fruit, but not to eat apples. Obedience is a large, inclusive category like fruit. Rejoicing in God is a subcategory and is one of those fruits. Obedience means, right, doing what you are told. Rejoicing in God is one of the things we are told to do. That's the point of this episode. So, to say Don't tell people to pursue joy, but to pursue obedience is like saying command that people pursue obedience, but don't command them to pursue this part of obedience, namely rejoicing in God, though the Bible says to. So, back to the very beginning of our session. Christian hedonism affirms that it is the God-given duty of all people to pursue the fullest and longest pleasure, namely pleasure in God. And argument number one is we should pursue joy in God because the Bible commands it. We'll do argument number two next time.